I'm setting the autopilot, but this better not be a ruse. A ruse? Bring, bring. Hello? Hi, it's the 1930s. Can we have our words and clothes and shitty airplane back? Let's go, kid. Call you back, 1930s. And hey, watch out for that Adolf Hitler. He's a bad egg. Smash the Mirror. This is Season 4, Episode 9, Smash the Mirror, Part 2. So we are on Book 5. Annihilation. Chapter 9. I have stuff to talk about, so... Okay, so we're we're heading into the end stretch now, right? I mean, there's this, and then there's the finale, basically. And it's still good. There hasn't been a lull, which is really weird for this show. I think I expressed my disbelief last week that the Frozen season is the best season of Once Upon a Time. I know, like, what? Not counting the first season. Not counting the first season. Which is also kind of strange, because it seems like there are a lot of references to the first season here. Also, when you talk about the seasons, I have a lot of issues with this season. Mm. But, you know, when we break down the episodes one by one like we've been doing, I think there's more positive than negative. The best season, not counting one, is the season that contains the episode where Little Bo Peep is a warlord. There are some later episodes that are a drag to get through. And we've definitely, we had those back in the Peter Pan season. And... Heck, even the Korra stuff, and definitely the Wicked Witch of the West stuff. But there doesn't seem to be any wheel spinning here. It's just thing happens, thing happens, thing happens. And sometimes the things are kind of stupid, but everything is pushing the plot forward. Well, I think we can agree that the Frozen season really does benefit from being half-sized. It does. If it had been any longer. Yeah, it's the exact length it needs to be. I mean, and honestly... I am actually getting a little irritated with Ingrid. It hasn't crossed over into the episodes yet, but we'll talk about how irritated I am with Ingrid as we uh, get into it. Yeah. So uh, let's do that. We don't usually talk too much about the recap, but we should probably talk about this a little bit, if only because these episodes aired as one large block, but they're two-parters, so we're talking about them in two weeks. So real quick, last week. Uh, Robin Hood teamed up with Will Scarlet to go to the library to find out more about this magic book that seems to know everything about everyone, which is something that... It's something everyone should have been much more interested in before this point. And of course, this is because they are already jumping ahead to the next season and are setting up the author plotline. Meanwhile, in the flashback in Arendelle, Ingrid has locked Anna in a dungeon so she can prove to Elsa that Elsa needs Ingrid to be her new sister because blah blah weird. She's trying to convince Elsa that Anna doesn't accept her, but she's doing that by being like super cruel to Anna And Elsa and Anna are like, oh, she's evil. Let's stop her. But of course, Elsa showed that she is no fool. She knows exactly what's going on. And so Anna and Elsa have a plan to capture Ingrid in the urn. And in present day, Emma has had her magic hyperpowered by Ingrid, who's trying the same stupid plan in the present that she was trying in the past, which is to convince Emma that everybody hates her, so she should be her sister or something. Yeah, that everyone's going to turn on her because having magic makes you a monster or whatever and she's gonna prove that by making it so emma can't control her magic anyway now that emma's magic is out of control she has to rumble for help and he's gonna use the fantasia hat to steal her power which unbeknownst to emma is really gonna suck her into the hat and superpower the hat so that rumble can use it to separate himself 
from the dagger so that he can not have that giant weakness that he has right now. And so that he will be able to go into the real world and still have magical powers. I don't see what that has to do with severing himself from the dagger. It seems like everyone else who goes out into the real world still has their powers. Yeah, I don't know why they made that a part of it when just wanting to be separated from the dagger is a good enough reason. Also, Ingrid told him the secret ingredient to make the hat work, which we didn't hear. They did it Twin Peaks style, which is which was stupid because we're going to learn what it is in this episode. Gosh, I wonder if it's the thing that shows up in every season as a major plot thing. Isn't it weird that the magic hat needs a secret ingredient? Like, isn't the, the hat. Is, well, yes. But also, isn't the magic hat already kind of its own secret ingredient? It's a magic hat that only one person has. Are you saying it's like putting a hat on a hat? Oh, Jesus Christ, let's get going. Oh, also relevant to mention, the uh, Snow Queen was trapped in a magic circle set up by Stiltskin, but she astrally projected to stop Emma from going to the mansion to get sucked into a hat. And she caused Emma to crash her car, which, again, something we haven't really seen since season one. So, in Arendelle, in the CGI castle, Elsa and Anna are starting their plan to suck Ingrid into the vase. Urn. And they're escaping the dungeon, and they walk past a guard who's just asleep. Not magically, I just guess, asleep. Yeah, he's not magically asleep. In fact, it's weirdly convenient that they're sneaking in and the guard is already asleep, and Anna's even like, wow, we should really hire better guards. Well, I mean, since apparently you assumed all of the guards would immediately join up with Ingrid. You know what? All the stuff with Ingrid falls apart the more you look at it. Which is kind of a shame, because that's kind of our jam. But her plan doesn't really make sense, but their reaction to her plan is also kind of strange. You're a queen, you don't need a secret plot to overthrow her. Just call your guards! I mean, this, this is what happens when you don't have your girls, like, raised to be queens, when you have them raised trapped in tower rooms. I Fairy mean, tales. I mean, honestly, the plan doesn't make all that much sense anyway, because... They're like, oh, you're going to call her, and then I'm going to be waiting, and then you're going to go over there, and I'm going to yell surprise and suck her into the thing, but not like happy surprise, like serious surprise, because, you know, Anna, blah, 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 Buffy speak. Well, I mean, here's the urn, suck our aunt into it isn't a bad plan. They just felt like they needed to zhuzh it up, you know? Like when you add a lot of extra words to an essay so that you can get the word count in high school. Or college, or whenever you're writing an essay. But literally, they could have just gone up to her with the urn and sucked her in. They're oh. adding a bunch of extra s- steps, seemingly explicitly, so that Ingrid will be able to foil them. Oh, um, I'm glad you mentioned that they could have just gone up to her and used the urn to suck her in, because I just want to bring something up real fast while we're here. Let's remember that when they met Ingrid, she had been trapped in the urn for years, for their whole lives. And the way they got her out of the urn was they opened it and she got out. Can I just remind everyone of that before we get started? Okay. Okay. Believe me, it'll become important later. All right. So Anna's going to be in the jail cell for now for... I really don't get why they're putting this off instead of just doing it, but... Well, I mean, if they just went and did it, there would be no chance for Ingrid to mess up their plan. This is really like the good guy version of monologuing. Yeah, so Elsa leaves Anna in her cell for now. Also, Anna talks about how the uh, cell isn't that bad, except for when the rats come, and I'm like, 
this really doesn't reflect great on you guys as rulers. Well, I mean, the fact that no one is being held in the dungeon, I think, is pretty good. Yeah. Like, maybe Arendelle had a dungeon, it was terrible, they had terrible human rights violations, and then a previous ruler decided that this was awful, and, and they just really rehauled the economic system of Arendelle, and they have just amazing rehabilitation programs, and the dungeon is really more of a vestigial thing in the castle, and that's why the guard's asleep. Yeah, point. Or maybe it's not benevolent. Maybe if anyone is bad, they bring them to the rock trolls, and the rock trolls deal with them. Do all justice lords on them? You remember that arc, right? Of what? Of the uh, old Justice League cartoon, where they went to that alternate dimension where the Flash died. No, I haven't. I, I didn't watch that. It's this alternate world where the Flash died, and the Justice League kind of took over the uh, world. Okay. And there's a bit where uh, our universe's Justice League goes there. And they end up at Arkham, and everyone there is very docile, and uh, there's a bit where I think it's Wonder Woman notices uh, Poison Ivy's tending garden, and she lifts her bangs, and you can see two little uh, things from where Superman lobotomized her. Ooh, that's fucked up. So that's what the rock trolls do for Arendelle. Yes, yes. Also, uh, the plot of disturbing behavior, by the way. Huh. Yes. Or, uh... In Gravity Falls, the way they have that secret society that gave everyone in the town brain damage in order to cover all the uh, anomaly stuff. Oh, sure. Or the plot of the Firefly movie and then the origin story of the Reavers. Because, yeah, yeah the packs. Yeah, basic, basically, as humans, we're unable to envision a society that's peaceful without, like, really fucked up mind control and or, like, fascist dictators. Mm. Yeah, I think that's basically what's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, God, once upon a time. Let's talk about this episode. Uh, before we can even get back into talking about this scene, we have to talk about the fact that Ingrid appears and her dress has finally entered its final evolution. It looks so good. It is so good. And it honestly makes me a little mad because it's it's what Elsa's stupid party city dress should have looked like. Elsa's stupid party city dress should have been that, but in blue. It's actually a real dress that you could see a real woman in fake medieval Nordic times wearing, but it's white and it's still got the, and it's still diamond encrusted, but it doesn't look out of place with every other outfit the way Elsa's dress does. Yeah, it looks, like you said, it looks like a real dress, finally. Yes, it's, it doesn't look like a, a costume. Right, I mean, obviously. but It, it is a costume. But it, it doesn't look like a fancy party dress anymore, as the Brits would say. Anyway, the reason we can talk about this is because as soon as Elsa leaves Anna in her cell, Ingrid pops up and she's like, Yo! Yep. In her final form dress. Speaking of uh, Ingrid, back in present times, Emma gets out of her car to yell at the specter of Ingrid, who's just sort of hanging out around in the street. What I like about this scene is that Ingrid is basically there entirely in jump cuts because Emma gets out of the car. She wanders around. She's like, she doesn't see anyone. She doesn't see Ingrid. And then Ingrid's like, hi, Emma, from right behind her. But she's astral projecting like Prue and Charmed. Yeah. Speaking of, God, I'm so sorry about this, but this is going to be a really tangenty episode. Uh, they have just cast the first character on Charmed. Yeah, I think I remember you mentioning that. But who was it? That is the guy who played Fridge in the new Jumanji movie. Okay, that's cool, but who is who is he? He's apparently going to be one of the sister's boyfriends. 
Oh, so he's not long for this world. Oh, no. What I like about it, and again, the thing I thought, like, if they do a Charmed reboot, they should do this. Uh, all of the girls are going to have M names. Any significance to M or just something other than P names? I think it's probably a reference to, and I wonder if they're going to do this with the last name, the uh, original, like, the woman who started the line of witches was, uh... Was Melinda, right? Melinda Warren. And I think it's going to be a reference to that. I like that. I'm I'm down with that. Again, I think that you can do a really good Charmed show. They didn't, but you can. I'm I'm excited for a Charmed reboot. And as I think I said last week through my... Through my you know, I really don't know a lot of what I said last week because I was very sick. But as I think I said last week, I'm very excited for a Charmed reboot that is hated by all of the original cast members of Charmed. Because if Holly Marie Combs says it's not her vision, I think it's probably going to be pretty good. You did mention that, and yes. Not to be super mean, but okay, but... There are issues with Charmed. I mean, to be fair, this isn't a complete tangent, because I've been thinking a lot about Charmed. In fact, I was, I've been re-watching season three, specifically because Ingrid's obsession with having three magical sisters is so weird. Hmm. And wouldn't it be weird if there was something in this episode about her having two other magical sisters making her more powerful? If that had been introduced earlier into the plot, wouldn't that have made this whole thing sort of make more sense? It definitely would have made it make more sense, although then it would have just been a straight charmed rip-off, as opposed to, what is happening, Ingrid? Do you think you're in charmed? And we're, we're actually going to see a Power of Three riff uh, with the big bads of next season. That's true, but I'm, I'm here for that Power of Three riff. So Ingrid's like, hey, Emma... I know that you're going to go see Rumpelstiltskin to suck out your magic, but you really shouldn't do that. It's a bad idea. And the thing is, she's telling her it's a bad idea because she wants to, you know, join forces with her and have her be one of her magical sisters. But it doesn't change the fact that it is a really bad idea. Don't do that, Emma. Yeah, and, and Emma says, well, you're clearly the big bad of this season. Why should I listen to you? And, and she's like... Uh, Rumpel's the overarching big bad. Maybe, listen, like, on the hierarchy of good, I know I'm not very high up, but I'm above Rumpelstiltskin. And the thing I love here is that Emma realizes that the Snow Queen keeps on traveling through jump cuts, and she's like, wait a second, people do, like, swirly things when they teleport. You're not actually here. I don't have to listen to you. And she just leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that was actually really good deductive reasoning on Emma's part. She is the world's greatest detective. Mm. Suck that, though. Back at the loft, Snow and Regina are having a talk about morality and how if you believe in good things, good things will happen to you. And Snow thinks that all you need to do is be positive because, to be honest, things always do work out for her. She has protagonist privilege. Yeah. And what I like is that Regina points that out. Regina says, you can believe that because you're a hero and... Good things keep happening to you because of the role you were assigned. There's literally a writer who's making sure that things always work out for you, and yet you're here all superior like, well, I don't know why you don't just be good like I do, and thus be rewarded for it. Mary Margaret is like the embodiment of the Protestant work ethic, or the idea amongst some Christian sects that if you are wealthy and rewarded, it's because you did good and God is rewarding you. As opposed to just, you know, the chance of your birth. And... Yeah, 
Regina very clearly does not want to have this conversation. So she's like, hey, where's Emma? Shouldn't, shouldn't somebody be looking out for Emma? And David's like, eh, she's going to go get rid of her powers. Whatever. And Regina freaks out because, you know. Because you can't just throw away your powers like they're an old pair of Jimmy Choo's or something. It's a great line. It is a great line. Also, it tells you a lot about Regina, that she's the type of person who gets rid of a pair of Jimmy Choo's. They're like, there's no reason to make a big deal out of it. Whatever, she won't have magic anymore. And Regina's all, okay, listen here, you dumb motherfuckers. Magic's a very big, very important part of Emma. And, like, this is legitimately a big deal. And they're like, eh, whatever. We don't think it's a big deal. And she's like, you guys don't have good judgment. Like, the only reason you are not dead is because the universe is looking after you. you know, she, she points out, you hired the Wicked Witch of the West as your nanny when she was dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West and talking about how much she wanted to eat your baby. You know, the show doesn't go too much into the Emma trying to get rid of her power stuff, which is good because if it had dragged on too long, I feel like the show would have fucked it up. It went on just the right amount of time. But so they don't really go into the metaphor of what it means to cut off a piece of yourself like this much more outside of this scene, which is kind of a shame. But on the other hand, like I said, I don't really trust this show to get it right. So they probably put just the right amount in there. So Regina basically takes them to task. She's like, I know what this is. I, when Henry discovered fairy tale stuff, I tried to make him feel like he was crazy and that was wrong. Like you have to embrace every part of yourself. Although, that's not quite the right analogy because she was literally gaslighting Henry. They're just not caring. They're being bad parents in a different way. They're they're non-participating parents. She's act, She was being actively harmful. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter what any of these people decide because we didn't mention in our recap, but one of the things that happened last week is Elsa decided that these people weren't going to get shit done and she used the locator potion herself and is hot on the trail of Emma. It's it's kind of funny. The scene was important for, you know, metaphorical, talking about what Emma's doing reasons. But the fact is, David and Mary Margaret are very unessential as far as getting the job done in this episode. Well, I didn't notice the first time I was watching it, but it does set up with what will be the central point of the climax, which is that it's very important to embrace every part of yourself, even the parts... That kind of scare you. Yeah. Like, being self-actualized means working through every part of yourself, not just the parts that make you look good. It's a good lesson. Yeah. Anyway, back in the flashback, Ingrid and Anna are having a confrontation. There's... You know what? I'm just mad at Anna at this point. Like, why is she even having a conversation with Ingrid at this point? Don't... Don't give her a chance to get the upper hand. Just use the fucking urn. What I do like about this is that it's very clear that Ingrid was spying on Elsa and Anna when they were having this conversation because she has this bit where she's like, surprise. Yes, where where Ingrid shouts surprise, mocking Anna's idea that she was going to shout surprise. Before sucking her into the urn. I'm like, okay, that's great. That is great. You know, we talked a lot. We've talked, we talk a lot on this podcast about how much we love Regina and Rumple to a lesser extent. Mm. I think Ingrid would have topped both of them. I think Ingrid would have become our favorite character if she had embraced her evil more. If she had been like, yes, I'm an evil witch who wants 
witch sisters and just stop trying to do this whole oh I'm good thing. I think she might have become our favorite character. The scene actually proves that if Ingrid had just hung around and not done anything, well, actually it kind of goes back on both of them because it shows how really similar Ingrid and Anna are. Ingrid talks about how she relates to Anna because when she was young, she after her powers manifested, she also kind of sealed herself off, and she lived this very isolated life, even though she had sisters in the castle. Yeah, and she spent a lot of time in the library, like Anna did. They both read all of the books. And, okay, I have a lot of emotions about what happens next. They're bad emotions. So I don't like what happens next. So Ingrid mentions a specific book. And she says, do you know that book? Anna, Anna, do you know that book? And Anna says, yeah, I know know that book. And Ingrid's like, why don't you tell me the story from it? And Anna says, I don't see what giving a book report, why I should give you a book report. And Ingrid's like, because if you don't, I kill you. So book reports are a thing then in Arendelle. Oh my God, I don't even, I wasn't even worried about that. But yeah, okay. Book reports are a thing. Like. Yeah. It's one of those things you don't think about, like that line in The Little Mermaid that talks about blood pressure, where you're like, okay, but was that a thing at that point in history? You know, it's funny, um, William Goldman has a uh, tangent. He goes on tangents like we do. Huh. He has a tangent in Princess, or at least he does in Princess Bride, which is an amazing book, and one of the few books where if you read it in conjunction with watching the movie, it makes both of them better, as opposed to, you know, normally one of them is much, much worse. But one of the tangents William Goldman goes on in the book is talking about how he, in the script for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, had a person talk about bifocals, and they wanted him to take it out because it wasn't historically accurate. And he's like, yes, it is. They had bifocals. It's a thing I've been seeing. I reblogged on Tumblr a lot lately, the Tiffany problem. Yeah, the Tiffany problem. That Tiffany was a name whenever. Tiffany was a medieval name. But you could never put that name in a medieval story because... People will be like, no, that's a modern thing. That's from the 90s or whenever. Or 80s? When was Tiffany big? Tiffany the singer is from the 80s. So, yes. Okay, let's talk about the book report that Anna actually gives because that's the thing that gives me anger feelings. Uh, You mean the new story of how Ingrid came up with the enchanted mirror idea? The backstory of the Mirror of Shattered Sight, yeah. So the backstory of the Mirror of Shattered Sight, according to Once Upon a Time, is that there was a king who wanted to make a mirror that would show his beautiful princess daughter how incredibly beautiful she was. Inside and out. Sure. It's actually a very uh, Picture of Dorian Gray kind of thing, because uh, in Picture of Dorian Gray, the reason the picture is so accurate is because the artist loved Dorian Gray so much. Anyway, but before he can give her the gift, she dies, and now, instead of reflecting her beauty, it reflects his pain. So now when he looks at it, all he sees is pain. And then he goes mad with grief and studies dark magic and creates a spell to shatter it and give everybody shattered sight. To have everyone, like, when he looks into it, he sees the worst in himself instead of the best of his daughter. All he sees is his pain and suffering and anger at the world for taking his daughter from him. Mm -hmm. So he puts dark magic into the mirror. Like, he learns dark magic. He puts it into the mirror 
and then he casts a spell that spreads the uh, the mirror throughout the land, the glass from the mirror throughout the land, and everyone the spell Shattered Sight touches is only capable of seeing the worst in the people they love. Yes. Okay, now I'm going to take a turn. Okay. Because I am upset that that's so different from the Hans Christian Andersen story of the Mirror of Shattered Sight. But, on the other hand, when you think about Hans Christian Andersen, what comes to mind? Uh, Knives on the Feet. Oh, not heavy-handed Christian allegory? Uh, no. The, I always think of that as more of a uh, C.S. Lewis. I mostly think of body horror, actually, when I think of, uh... Okay, that's fair. Um, Hans Glass Christ- in the eyes, knives in the feet. Okay, that's fair. Hans Christian Andersen's stories were very, very Christian, though. Like, in the actual story of The Little Mermaid, the reason she wants to be a human is so that she can have a soul, because mermaids don't have souls. And the end of the story is this lesson for children where... Instead of getting the prince to kiss her, she she fails. And then she's wandering around half insold, half not insold. And every time children are good, she gets closer to having a soul. And every time children are bad, she gets further away from it. That's an odd thing to have tied into. Well, no, because you tell... Well, I know. It's a morality thing, so your children behave. Yeah, you tell... Think about that. Think about telling your kids when they're bad that they just doomed Ariel. It's effective. Yeah, but I mean, collectively, it's like how you tell people to recycle, even though most of the recycling is done, uh, most of the littering is done by giant corporations. It's like, if she's tied to the inherent goodness of all children, then really your own actions would have a minimal effect at best to getting her to heaven. I know this isn't the sort of thing children think about that much, but... Actually, she's one, her soul is wandering around the world witnessing things. When she witnesses children becoming good, she's closer to being insulted. And when she witnesses children becoming bad, she becomes further away from being insulted. So you could just be like, when your children are bad, you could be like, guys, I think Ariel was here. I think she saw that. Uh, you really fucked up. Yeah, You're the only child she saw today, and she saw you being a little shit. Uh, so it's an elf on the shelf thing. Yes. I'm sorry to do another tangent within a tangent within a tangent. Okay. But I read about this thing called the deer in here. The reindeer in here. Okay. This guy came up with, this dad came up with as a counterpoint to the elf in the shelf. Does it kill elves in the shelves? Elves on the shelf? Well, the commercial for it had it beating the crap out of the elf on the shelf. And it's like, this is a reindeer Santa sent in just to hang out with you. It's not judging you. It just wants to be your friend. It's not reporting shit back to Santa. And I'm like, yeah, good. That's nice. Anyway, my point was, the actual story of the Mirror of Shattered Sight is a demon did it. Uh, It's not as cool. Yeah. So, Ingrid actually has, turns out the story was true, because, you know, all stories are true, because this is the universe we live in. And, well, this is the universe they live in. In this show, it's not like people walk around telling each other myths and it turns out they're true. They just are true. Instead of Anna telling a story about the mirror of Shattered Sight that it turns out was true, what if they had just given us a different story of the mirror of Shattered Sight? And Ingrid talks about how, because she's got a little piece of the mirror, she talks about looking into it and seeing nothing but pain. What if she had had the, what if we had seen her as a child with the mirror? when she separated from her sisters? And what if we'd actually seen the way it affected her mind? It would make 
everything she does in this season make more sense. Or, hot alternate take on that. Yeah? What if she was doing it? What if it was a part of her magic that she was projecting all of her negativity, all of the self-loathing she felt onto this mirror, and it was just reflecting back at her and becoming stronger? Ooh, and if it had imbued the mirror in such a way that her sisters looked at it, and it changed the way her sisters saw her, and then they actually would have turned on her as opposed to, like, what happened, which makes not a lot of sense. Yeah. Or, I mean, it makes... It makes sense, but it's not narratively satisfying. It's literally the phrase I was going to use. Well, okay, so Ingrid's big plan is that she's going to cast the spell of Shattered Sight. She's going to use the mirror, and she's going to cast the spell of Shattered Sight, and basically it'll be like that chemical from the first Kingsman, and everybody will go crazy and see the worst and everything and act on all of their worst impulses. And she's got a little bit that she's going to put into Anna's eyes so that we, the audience, know what's about to happen. Yeah, she says, I don't, by myself, I don't have enough power to cast the spell over everyone. But once I have Elsa on my side, I'll be stronger. And once I have a third sister. Okay, but why? Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense. In in modern day, in the modern day plot, they act like the point is that she's going to cast the spell. It will affect everyone except for her, Elsa, and Emma. Question mark. Prophets? Yeah. But there's not even a reason here. Yeah, but... The, the bit that she does does make sense. She wants Elsa to be on her side. She knows that Elsa is still loyal to Anna. So she casts the spell of Shattered Sight on Anna. That tiny bit of her plan makes sense. Yeah. And also, I do really like the visual of... I mean, it's very fake, but they've got like the little shards of glass flying into Anna's eye. And then they have the surface of Anna's eye... Like, cracked. look like a cracked mirror. Yeah, it and works it, good. It, yes, it works. It definitely... It's a cool visual effect, too. I feel like the uh, this was sort of an episode where the SF, where the uh, effects people got to sort of stretch their legs. I think you're right, yeah. We didn't bring it up at the time, but back when the Snow Queen was astral projecting and Emma walked through her, the effect of her walking through her and her turning into, like, ice dust, I thought it looked really good. Do you think they had some sort of budget adjustment? Because it feels like they've been keeping things relatively small all season, and this really feels like there was a bump in what they were allowed to do special effects-wise. I think they were saving their budget for the Spell of Shattered Sight effects, which is good. They they work. I I like the Spell of Shattered Sight effects that we'll see in this episode, and then at the which we'll see at the very end of this episode and the next episode. So. Emma drives up to the isolated mansion in the middle of nowhere that's somehow also still within Storybrooke. That nobody lives in, even though she lives in a loft with her entire family. Yeah. Which, this this place is... Once upon a time! Completely isolated, giant-ass mansion with working electricity. So, So Emma goes in, it's all very... Missing a call from her parents telling her not to do this. Yes, and we see that she has a previous missed call from Hook telling her, you know, not to trust the crocodile. Is it a smartphone? It looks like she's got a smartphone. Yeah, it's a smartphone. Huh. Oh, I was just thinking because last episode we saw Hook. Yes, yeah, Hook has a flip phone. He has a he has an old school phone. I think it's I think it's a first or second generation iPhone. Yeah. So, uh, Regina, the Charmings, and Henry see evidence of uh, Emma's car crash. They've been tracking her. They're so not worried that she might be injured from the car accident, by the way. Eh, whatever. 
F1 crashes her car all the time. Does anyone actually get injured in car crashes anymore? So. Uh, oh, God. Okay, I know so, this scene. I know we're both so not. Okay, let's, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Okay, you know that thing we were talking about earlier where Mary Margaret was like, if you believe in fairy tales and gumdrops. I'm sorry. I know I said that in a show about fairy tales, not gumdrops, but. You know, if you just believe in good things, good things will happen to you. And this is where Regina, uh, last week you mentioned uh, Regina asking her if she got paid every time she, like, if she was being she, sponsored by the Hope Council. Yeah, does she get a quarter from the Hope Council every time she talks about fucking hope? This is just more Mary Market going, if you have, you know, if you hope and if you believe, then good things will happen to you. I mean, look at everything that David and I went through, mostly because of you. Okay, well, to be fair. It was mostly because of her. But it's very counterproductive to the speech she's currently giving. Okay, it's super counterproductive to the speech she's giving. Also, I mean, what you're telling her is, don't give up hope, and you might have something as great as David. I mean... Well, she is pushing her into being with Robin. Ugh. Ugh. Regina tells her, like, we're different because you're arbitrarily a hero and I'm arbitrarily a villain. You're you wishing- did kill a lot of people, Regina. Okay, it's not that arbitrary, okay. But she says, you know, your wishes are granted, mine are crushed. That's how it works. And Mary Margaret's like, well, you can earn forgiveness. Like, all you have to do is, you know, believe in goodness, blah, 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 and then you'll be rewarded. And Regina has the very good, very good place point. If I'm being good just to get rewarded, it shouldn't count, right? Yeah. She also talks about how maybe evil is inherent. Maybe she's just inherently evil. And let's revisit that when we get to heroes and villains. Mm. Also, <coughs> Cora. <coughs> Formative causes. <laughs> I mean, they don't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. Okay, so, you know what? For, I do have to talk about it right now. Earlier in this show... We came to love Regina because we saw things from her point of view, and we understood that from her point of view, her actions had a motivation, and the motivation wasn't, I am evil and I'm going to do evil things. She did do evil things, she did kill a lot of innocent people, but we understood what motivated her to do that. This the show will definitely walk that back later with her just setting people on fire for funsies, but... Or breaking people's necks for choreography. Mm. I can't <laughs> wait to talk... It's, you know, it's going to be really sad, because when we finally talk about the musical episode, it's going to mean we're almost done with this podcast, but I do want to talk about the musical episode. Anyway, now, all of a sudden, it's like, I did evil things because I'm evil. The show is becoming less nuanced. Yeah. Don't do that, show. Don't do that. And, I mean, it's trying not to. Mary Marks says, like, you've seen my heart. You knew what a brat I was as a kid. No one's pure good or pure evil. Mary Marks like, hey, let's do a redemption story instead. And, like, I'm like, yeah, let's do a redemption story instead. I thought we were doing that. And she actually does have a good point where she's like, it's not going to happen immediately. Like, this is going to be something you need to work at. It's, you not don't... The, it's not the secret. You don't just make a vision board and then things happen. Unless you're Mary Margaret. But she sort of walks off frustrated, which is real weird. So back in the setup for next season, Will Scarlet and Robin Hood are in the library. 
And Robin Hood has stolen the Once Upon a Time book so that they can help them figure out what's going on. I'm not really sure. So Will, Will looks at it, and he's looking at the Evil Queen. He's like, you know, I can see it. If, if Evil Queen's your type, I can see it. And hey, I'm not anyone to judge, which is a joke because of the, his relationship with the Red Queen and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. It's a joke for the three people who watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. I love their strategy, which is basically being in the library and looking for any book that looks even vaguely mystical and flipping it open. Yes, which means that they end up opening a pop-up book. And, and, and Will Scarlet's like, what the fuck is this? Which is weird, no, because... I love how into it he is. He's just, like, super delighted at a pop-up book. Okay, here's the thing. Is pop-up technology that unknown to people? It's full to cardboard people. I feel pretty confident that pop-up books have existed for a long, long time. I just like how he's... How pleasantly surprised he is by this pop-up book about ships. It's weirdly endearing. Meanwhile, uh, Robin Hood's mystic-looking book was about motorcycle repair. Yeah. I want to point out, Belle is a shitty librarian. Both of these books were on the same shelf. You know what else was on that shelf? The Cat in the Hat. The Dewey Decimal System is a thing, Belle. Okay. Library of Congress categorization is way better than the Dewey Decimal System. Neither of them would have stood for this kind of disorganization. It's... I don't get what the system is here. There's a pop-up... I mean, are they in the children's section? Except they're not, because there's a book about motorcycle repair. Was that just misplaced, or...? No, you're right. There's there's no there's no rhyme or reason to what is in the shelf. Anyway, Robin Hood goes back to his satchel and finds a page from the Once Upon a Time book in his satchel that wasn't there before. <sighs> it's a page of Regina hooking up with Robin, and, you know, the bar that night she decided to embrace evil i guess well i mean she has categorized it since as deciding to embrace evil which is weird because what she actually decided is that after daniel she wasn't ready for another guy so soon yeah also she was married to another person another person who was king of the country she lived in i mean historically cheating on kings hasn't gone well yeah but he calls regina he's like uh, he's like, okay, just forget about Emma. You need to come over here and deal with our subplot. And Eugene's like, I don't know. The Emma thing seems way more important. And Mary Margaret's all, nah, go. It'll be fine. No. Nope. She can teleport, so honestly, this should be like a 10-second thing. Right? She should just teleport. Well, you know what? I think I've just realized why the show can't use teleporting. It would be really dumb. If she just teleported and she was like, oh, okay, and then teleported back. Yes. Well, the scenes, the structure of the scenes would, the story structure would suffer. Mm, if people remembered what superpowers they had. Right. Speaking of story structure, the fact that they're looking through the library and then he just finds the page in his satchel. Like, as somebody who has run role-playing games, I know that move, right? You set up all of the clues to where your guys were supposed to go. They were supposed to go to the giant mansion in the middle of nowhere that exists for some reason all of a sudden. Uh, spoiler alert for next season, by the way, you guys. And it's, spoiler alert two seasons from now. And instead, they're like, well, let's just go to the library. And you're like, fuck. So then you just have the next quest item magically appear in their bags because you're like, I can't even, I can't even herd these guys properly. Honestly, once we find out about the author, I feel like a lot of this stuff makes more sense, though. Fair point. Okay, so inside the mansion, 
I just want to bring up, I'm not sure if it's the lighting department or the, uh, or the camera people, the director, but there's a great bit when we see Rumpelstiltskin in the mansion where he has sort of an anti-Halo. There's light all around him, and he's just standing in this beam of darkness. It's this really well-composed shot. And the light behind him has that kind of angelic fingers of God quality that you get in cathedrals. Yeah. It's a good shot. It's everywhere except around him. He's in the one spot of darkness. He's this, it, it makes it appear as though he is the source of darkness. Yeah. Again, it's a really well-constructed shot. I've never worked on film, but I'm pretty sure the person you want to be praising is the director of photography. Yeah, it seem, seems like. So he uh, welcomes Emma to the manor, mansion. All of the uh, lights are flickering because her powers are still going crazy. Um, on the fireplace in the abandoned mansion, am I just missing something? Or are there two matching porcelain urns there? You are not. There are. Who is in those urns? Okay, moving on. I, I was going to say they could be vases. Those are not vases. Because they have tops? Yeah, those are clearly urns. What? What? Uh, we don't find out who it is. You know why? Why? It's an unearned reveal. What? Why would you? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, okay, anyway. So, Rumpel meets Emma. He does the sort of... Okay, so Rumpel's plan here is... I mean, it's not bad. It's actually a really good plan. It's just super, super silly. Which is that he summons out the hat and then props it up. Props it up with its sucky power thingy. And leaves the room so that he can tell Emma to just open the door and go into the room. This is, again... This is the Elsa and Anna needing to... No, I think this is the opposite of that. I think this is the most straightforward way to do it. It's just fucking ridiculous. He could have just opened the door, pointed the hat at her, and sucked her in. I think if she saw him pointing the hat, she'd have been able to fight it. And so that's why he did it this way. I think he had to catch her by surprise. Or he could have just said, it'll suck out your magic. It's going to feel really weird. Just go with it. Yeah, I guess that would have been simpler. You know what? This season is a lot of people getting in their own ways. Mm. So he's like, okay, I already set up the spell. All you need to do is walk into that room and you won't get sucked into a magical hat. And she's like, really? Because I talked to the Snow Queen and she seems to think that I'd be sucked into a magical hat. And he's all, yeah, but she's the big bad. So why are you listening to her? She's like, wait, but I feel like you're kind of a bigger bad. And he's like, Belle has my dagger. Everything's good. Belle has my dagger. It's actually a pretty good scene where she asks him, she's like, what would you do? And he's like, I wouldn't get rid of my powers, but I'm not a good person like you are. I like that both here and in the scene where he took the ribbons away from Ingrid, he told the complete truth. He was like, you shouldn't do that. Those are real powerful and it's a bad idea. And here he's like, yeah, I wouldn't give up my magic for anything. You know how I had a plot? That took 200 years to get my son back because I didn't want to lose my magic? Yeah. He he talks about how power is always the most important thing to him. And Emma's like, but you you gave up so much, you know, f- for Neil to save the town, to marry Belle. And he says, yeah, but Neil's dead. 
the town's still in danger. The town's still always in danger. And Belle knows who I am for better or for worse, which she doesn't, but... Well, I mean... I could talk, I could, and I feel like have, talk for a long time about whether or not Belle knows what Rumpel is and how much more interesting her story should be than what we're shown, but that's not what we're shown. Yeah. But I like this because, uh, A, Robert Carlyle is a really good actor, and he is one of the actors who, we both love Lana Perea, but there is a point where she's, I don't want to say stops trying, but she doesn't give the same powerhouse performance as she used to because the show's been going for a really long time at this she point. Has few, she has fewer fucks than she previously did. Yeah. Robert Carlyle never really reaches that point. He's always acting at the top of his ability. And the scene really leans into that because he's blatant about this. He's blatant about, I wouldn't do what you're doing. What you're doing is dangerous. It could backfire. You could get hurt. The way he tricks her, tricks her, with the truth is basically by telling her that it's what a good person would do and she's a good person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not. I, I was saying it's not like he's lying. He is lying. Well, that, well, I mean, he... She will stop hurting her family and friends if she does this. And I mean, he tells her that she's a good person so she could, so she should trust her gut. But to be honest, that is true. And her gut is telling her she should not do this. Yeah. So she starts the slowest walk ever towards a doorway that's like 10 feet away from her. Yeah, I hate when they do these, but I have to pretend that the other scenes we're seeing took place before or simultaneously, because otherwise it's going to take a long time for you to get to that door. I mean, honestly, there shouldn't be enough time for what happens next to happen, because Hook runs up to the mansion and he's all like, I'm not going to let you do this to her crocodile, and and Rumble's like, oh, this guy. Okay, I know I agree that we would stop talking about the fact that Rumple killed Mila, the love of Hook's life and how could Hook possibly exist in the same world with him? Uh, but they bring it up! Yes, fair. They bring it up. This is some excellent villaining by Rumple, by the way. Rumple uh, ties Hook to the to the gate in a very Leslie Nope move, and uh, he tells him, he's like, okay, so Emma's gonna get sucked into the hat, uh, I'm gonna have her magic, and you're going to have something new to focus on, because... Well, he breaks up. He's like, you'll, he says, eventually you'll forget her, the way you seem to have forgotten Mila, which is what I've been saying. I mean, I feel like Hook shouldn't be allowed... I feel like Rumpel shouldn't be allowed to bring that up when it's a real problem with the show. So if we're going to pretend that there's any way that these two can exist in the same story, don't remind me why they can't. Also, it's weird because he's taunting him about being over Mila in a way that doesn't take responsibility for being the one who killed Mila. Although it is the same situation. He killed Mila. He's not going to have killed Emma, but... Well, I think that if you didn't already know the real cold-blooded way that Rumpel killed Mila, this scene does not indicate that. Mm. But, you know, we do. Everyone watching this show does. So... As this is going on, Elsa ice lockpicks the back door. Yep. Ice can do whatever. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, because we're going to come back to it in about 20 minutes. Back in Arendelle in the flashback, Anna and Elsa meet in the chocolate room 
Yeah, with all the chocolate that Elsa has made for Anna. And Anna's being super bitchy about it. I do like Anna's like, oh, you made a bunch of chocolate. I guess that makes up for the fact that you, you know, rejected me throughout our entire childhood. Yep. And Elsa's like, why are you being so mean? Is this because, are you getting back at me because of my earlier ruse? I'd have to say, I didn't bring it up last week, but every time someone says the word ruse in any context, all I can think about is that scene from Archer. Which scene? Where he makes fun of Patrick Warburton for using the word ruse. He's like, what is this, the 1920s? Anyway, Anna throws the special snowflake necklace. That wasn't intentional, I swear. (laughs) But she throws the special snowflake necklace that Elsa gave her into the fire. And then Ingrid's like, see, she turned on you because I used magic to make her turn on you. Which just undercuts the point entirely. I know, right? Like, it actually... The only good part of Ingrid's plan was to use the Mirror of True Sight to make Anna turn on Elsa. But she undoes that goodness by telling Elsa that that's what she did. Like... I mean, she recontextualizes it as, I used magic to make her show you her true emotions towards you. But no, it just... you No, you undercut your own point because obviously you use magic to make her... Like, you know what would make the scene... You, you know what would make your plan work? If you weren't here in this scene... You are literally getting in your own way right now. Yeah. Anyway, Elsa's like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing, so I'm just not going to fight, and that's going to be that. Yeah, she's like, Anna, I know you're going through some stuff right now because of magic, but I love you, and and Ingrid's like, kill her, kill her before she sucks you into the urn, and Elsa's like, double-handedly flipping her off as she gets sucked into the urn. Okay, so Fuck you, sucking her into the urn seems to break the spell on Anna because she's like, oh no, what have I done? And she and Ingrid both look horrified that Elsa has been sucked into the urn. Can I, can I come back now? Just open it. Yeah. Just open it and she'll come right back out. Like, Anna, this is on you because you could have done that in like a second. I mean, she, Ingrid grabs the urn away from her, but you definitely had time to open it back up before she did that. Although Anna wasn't there for the uh, uncorking of Ingrid. I mean, it would have been worth a shot to immediately open <laughs> it again. Okay, okay. But, I mean, she doesn't know how the urn works. Okay, I guess that's fair. I guess, but seriously. You could all... have just opened it. It's, it's, yeah. They're acting like this is this giant thing. And Ingrid is about to choke Anna out. She's not even using magic. She's reaching for her throat as she grabs the urn away from her. When Kristoff shows up, hi, Nathaniel, and he's got a ice-breaking hammer? Yeah, he's an ice man. That's what he does. He has an ice pick. I, I guess it's a pick. It... He's the ice man. He has an ice pick. But he's like, calm down. We can resolve this peacefully as he approaches her with an ice pick over his head. And she's like, I think you need to chill out. And then she freezes him and all of Arendelle. And then she says, she says that she recognizes the look of fear and horror on their faces. And that if everyone's going to treat her like a monster, then fine. She's going to be a monster. Ingrid, you just lied, mind-controlled, earned, captured... Like, what do you think a monster is, Ingrid? 
Well, I like how she's mad at Anna. She's mad at Anna for not being killed by Elsa. She's like, you're looking at me like I'm a monster just because I mind-controlled you into attacking your sister and then got mad when she didn't kill you. I, I, like, you, you've definitely lost the moral high ground by this point. Anyway, yeah, she freezes over all of Arendelle. So she's cradling the urn like a baby, and she's like, Don't worry, I'll get you out of here someday, and we'll find our third sister, no matter how long it takes. There's a real Peter Pan thing going on with Ingrid. Hmm? Or like a reverse Peter Pan thing? Yeah, like a reverse Peter Pan thing. Because the thing about Peter Pan, the thing that makes him annoying, and yet so relatable to so many heterosexual women, is that he wants a mother. And he and Wendy, Wendy wants a husband and he wants a mother. And so he brings Wendy over and tries to turn her into his mother. That's the story of Peter Pan. And to a lesser extent, Bojack Horseman. I, look, the Peter Pan thing is not unknown in the dating world, let me tell you. Anyway, uh, Ingrid has kind of a weird opposite thing to this, where Elsa is her niece and Emma is her adopted daughter. She should be being the adult in the room. Yeah. And instead, she's just, like, obsessed with these two being her sisters. It's kind of weird. And it makes me feel sad because she's the closest thing to a good maternal figure that Emma had in her life. And then Emma, first of all, had that memory erased. And secondly, she just wanted to be your sister, not actually take care of you. Elsa, in the present, having broken through the back door using magical ice lockpicking. Sure, sure. Uh, interrupts Emma's slowest approach to the door ever. And then they have a really great scene where Elsa talks to her about how the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. She she thought that her powers were under control because Anna loved her, and, and Emma thought her powers would be under control because Henry loves her, but no, the two of them have to learn self-love, and that is how they can control their powers. And also, what's great for me right here is that earlier in this season, Regina, when she holds herself up away from everyone else, was kind of being the Elsa in the story, where she was isolating herself. And here, Elsa is kind of serving Regina's role in the story, of being the mentor to Emma, and, as we will see very shortly, creating the lesbian subtext that good magic needs in order to operate. This reminds me of, in a weird way, Scott Pilgrim. Oh my, okay. Where he gains the power of, where he gains the power of, uh... uh... In the movie, it was the power of self-respect, because yeah. there's a bit where he approached, like, in the beginning, when he's going to fight the final guy, Gideon, he fu- he draws the sword that has the power of love, which is what he's been using. And in the movie, Gideon kicks his ass, kills him, and then, you know, he had the other life, he had an extra life, so he comes back, and he realizes, no, this isn't about, this isn't about my relationship. This is about understanding. This was also done much better in the book with the the sort of understanding where he realizes, like, I can't define myself through my relationships with other people. I need to own up to the fact that I'm responsible for my actions. And yeah, this is also, if you're reading Elsa's, uh, Elsa's Queer, this really leans heavily into that because it's all about self-acceptance. She's like, we can't, like, it's good to have love from other people, but you, ha- you have to love yourself. This has to come from within. You need to accept yourself on your own terms. 
I mean, you say if you're reading Elsa as queer, and it is, I, I just said that this show doesn't get as much into the subtext as I might if I were writing it. But yeah, in a story where the plot has been cut off this socially unacceptable piece of you, and the solution has been, no, it's a part of you, and you should accept and love it, it's real hard to not have a queer reading here. Yeah, like, it's only damaging if you don't embrace this part of you. It will hurt, like, this will hurt you if you reject it. Yeah. So basically, I just want to point out that the conflict in this episode has basically at this point been resolved. And it was resolved by the moment where Emma and Elsa held hands and the magic of female touch caused the, like, CGI light explosion. Hmm, so this, Again, we're having a real Willow Terra moment here. It, it, it looks exactly like the Willow Terra scene. The rose one or the... No, the the, the one with the candles. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. The one that we the one that we used as an introduction uh, a couple seasons ago, and when it was just the and when it was just the audio and not the video, sounded a lot like lesbian porn. Honestly, with the video, it looks a lot like lesbian porn too. The flaming uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the flaming O scene from Buffy, which is yep. famous in certain circles because it's awesome. Anyway, I just want to point out that Elsa already fixed everything. Like everybody else, Hook. The Charmings, Regina, everyone else who's on their way to this mansion to save Emma is completely superfluous to this episode. Elsa's got the shit under control. Also, it's good that Elsa got to do something. It really feels like she's been just sort of awkwardly standing in the background for a while. She's been hanging around waiting for someone to have time to help her find her sister. Yeah, she's sort of just been there. Okay, so... Hook points out, because they can tell from the light show inside the house that it's all over, he's like, haha, you lost. And Trumple's like, uh ho, but underneath my plan, I had a secret smaller plan. Yet, turns out that secret ingredient that Ingrid whispered to him that he needs is a heart. A heart of someone who knew him before he had the dagger. So, this is, again, a scene which I'm assuming spawns just massive, massive amounts of fanfic. Oh, you mean because he tells Hook that he's his oldest friend and then reaches inside of him and pulls out his heart? Well... Hook's like, just kill. If you're gonna kill me, kill me. And Rumple says, "No, I prom. I promised that we're going to have some fun first. Ooh, you're going me. to do everything I say Ugh, because my you're my so fucked up. Yeah, because you're my puppet now. And once I'm satisfied, then I'll kill you. Ugh. And I'm like, okay, there had to be a lot of fanfic. Also, just uh, based around that. Also, side note, Hook's heart doesn't have that much darkness in it. Well, I mean, that's what we've been saying, right? Yeah. So, back in the past... In the flashback, apparently Ingrid's been practicing, according to Rumpel, Ingrid's been practicing her rock troll memory magic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like you could use ice magic to remove people's memories. Mm. Ice magic is very limited. It only does certain things. Only does stuff related to ice. And making clothing. Uh, and picking te- locks. And teleporting. And telekinesis. Also making people evil. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so she's using the rock troll to remove all of Elsa's memories, which... She's using rock troll magic, but probably not directly from the rock trolls? No, she probably just learned it from them. I don't know. It's purple so that we know it's different from her normal magic. Mm. She's using the magic to remove Elsa's memories so that we know why Elsa didn't know why she was in the urn. Which is a nice little loophole tie-up. Yes. Uh, Rumpel says that he likes Anna better frozen. I think we all do. Yep. 
and he pulls the special snowflake necklace out of the fireplace. Yep. And he uh, takes the urn from Ingrid, and he says, you know what? You can have the urn back if you give me the magic hat. I need that magic hat. In the present, Hook runs into the mansion, and he is so excited to see Emma, and he's so excited to see her still having her magic. And it's really weird because he's being mind-controlled right now and is also being, like, the best boyfriend he's ever been. Yeah, he starts eating her face and then he, and he's like, whoa, being kind of intense there, bro. And he's like, go outside, you know, say hi to your family. Everyone loves you and everyone loves everything about you, including your magic, which honestly is what she needed to hear. Mm. And he goes and fetches the magic hat for Rumple. I do sort of like the low angle shots they use. Yes, low angle shots uh, create like a sense of doom and evil. Actually, a lot of the framing in this is really good. He very awkwardly tucks the hat under his arm. Everyone's going to notice that, dude. Yeah, it's like, weird. It's like he should have a pocket to put it in, but he doesn't because it's a giant hat and this isn't an anime. He puts it inside his jacket under his arm. Like, it's supposed to be hidden, but people are just going to be like, why are you holding your arm like that? What's going on there? They're going to be like, what are you hiding inside of your jacket? Anyway, back in the library... Robin is showing Regina the page he found that has the... Picture of the two of them making out in that bar that night. And he shows he shows her it's page 23, so it's supposed to go where the page was that had her not going into the bar. So, I mean, basically he's like, look, the answer is that you do have free will. You chose to not see me, and that means that you can choose to have a happy ending now. And she's like, nope, this tells me that someone is manipulating things and we need to find the author right now. Which, she's right. Yeah, she is. It's true. This whole thing kind of leans into there not being free will if... Yep. Like, there's an author who's determining what happens, then they're really not responsible for their actions, and she there is really nothing she can do to redeem herself. Although, at that point, the question is, is redemption necessary? Because if she wasn't in control of her actions... Right. Also, this page is going to be like this giant thing for seasons, and it really... They come up with this weird plot thing to resolve it, but it could have just been... Once we find out author stuff, they really didn't need to keep bringing it up. Like, this is a plot point that could have been resolved with the author's a dick. Although, as you pointed out, a lot of plot holes in this show could just be resolved with the author's a dick. The author's a dick and not a very good storyteller, which we do see... It's so funny because normally the joke is that in fantasy books you have this easy out where it's like, oh, a wizard did it. Whereas here we have the easy out, oh, the author did it. Because that's the thing about them literally living inside of a narrative. When there's a plot hole in the show, it can be caused by the person, by a legitimate character in the show not thinking things through when he's writing stuff down. So in in her ice cave of solitude, the urn dust wears off and Ingrid is able to move again. And she immediately goes and uses magic to put the ribbon on her wrist. The other two disappear, but spoiler alert, guys, obviously you know what happened to the other two ribbons. One of them is on Emma's wrist and one of them is on Elsa's wrist now. They really want us to appreciate the set design here. We kind of zoom out from her, like, rubbing the ribbon against her face. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Well, I feel like it's mostly just to show off the set they've built for her ice cave, which is very pretty. Back in the past, Ingrid has gone to retrieve the hat so that she can bring it to Rumpel and trade it for the urn with Elsa inside of it. 
And the sorcerer's apprentice is there. And he's found her another magical sister, but she hasn't been born yet. And Ingrid's like, wait, so the sorcerer can see the future? And it's like, yeah, it's magic. Okay, but what's really weird to me is not that part, which, sure, whatever. But what's weird to me is the part where he's like, yes, we found your sister and she's a match. What does that mean? Like, is it like organ donation? Like, you, she can't be your sister unless we do blood typing? What, what does that even mean? She's a match. If she's a match, wouldn't she also have ice powers? <sighs> we found another lady. We found another blonde lady with magic. For some weird reason, it turns out most blonde ladies don't have magic. It's more of a brunette thing. Yes, most magic users are brunette or, you know, Red redheads. Okay, so he tells her, uh, I know Rumpel said that you should exchange the hat or... Beard. But hot alternate take. Don't. Just go to this other world. Your sister uh, Elsa will find you. Blah, blah, blah. Just go to this other world and wait for the third sister. And, and then... He bamps a door into existence that leads her to Boston, I guess? I don't know. Our world. And he gives her the scroll that says, that has the prophecy, which basically says it's Emma. Yeah. Like, in no floral language or anything. Now, my instinct was to be like, oh, look, another way to travel between realms. But honestly, if anyone has a magical cross realms for free card, it's going to be the sorcerer. So I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I do also really like magic doors. I mean, the sorcerer is basically God, right? Because so kind of okay with it. Yeah. Okay. We do get a really good time placement. They tell us the year, but they don't need to because... But that made me angry. Because she walks through and they show off the Tron poster so we know that she crossed through in the 80s. And then a Chiron appears that says Our World 1982. Yeah, we got that from the fact that there's a movie poster for the original Tron. Like, you trust us for like 30 seconds, show. Jesus Christ. I think this is New York. I don't know. No, I, I think it's Boston. It doesn't look like New York. I guess I could see it being Boston. I'm, I was just trying to figure out what building that was supposed to be, the big building she's outside of. I think what's happening is that this is just a busy street in Vancouver. Ah. Um, but I definitely don't think it's supposed to be New York. And because they end up in Boston, I'm just going to say I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Boston. I guess. So... Uh, Mary Margaret and David run up to Emma and Mary Margaret hugs her and she's like, I'm glad you didn't give up your magic. Even though I'm the one who was a total bitch about it. She shows off her magic by using it to create some sort of northern lights effect. Localized. To your kitchen. But she does a little Aurora Borealis thing which turns into fireworks and there's a kind of cute bit where she's just enjoying using her powers, which is something I feel like we... Actively don't get to see people who do magic on TV do that much. It's true. Well, I mean, we only get like 10 seconds of people being happy in this show. So these are those 10 seconds. And it ends when she realizes that she's got the ribbon on her arm. And then Elsa realizes that she has it too. And they can both feel it draining the magic from them. And they can't take it off. Now, Emma's ribbon is on her skin. But Elsa's ribbon is over her dress. Which means she can't take that dress off. Now, I know she hasn't, but she should. And now she can't. Yeah. Just want to bring that up. I mean, maybe she could, like, slide it out from under. I don't know. So, 
Emma's like, I think I know where this magical power inhibiting ribbon came from. And smash cut to Ingrid rubbing the ribbon all over her face. Yep, and Rumple shows up and she's like, I didn't get what I wanted, but I did also kind of get what I wanted. And she's like, Well, I got what I wanted too. This ribbon is funneling their magic sister powers into me. I, as soon also, as... it wouldn't have worked if they didn't truly accept their powers, which they wouldn't have done if you didn't, uh, you know, put Emma in so much danger. So, joke's on you. In the situation, she's talking about how she has Elsa and Emma's powers funneling into her. And she's like, what do you know about sisters? And he's like, your, si- your strange sister fixation holds no fascination for me. Which seems like they're kind of lampshading it. It, it feels dire- like they're directly addressing how weird this thing is. But Okay, so now that she has all this power from her two sisters, she can cast the spell of Shattered Sight with the mirror. Because now she has enough power to do it. But the whole point of casting the spell of Shattered Sight was to get her sisters, so... Was what? to get them to become her sisters. Wait, but she knows that doesn't work because she did it with Elsa before. Ingrid's plan is dumb. Please let Ingrid be part of a season that has a less dumb plan. I know it's too late. I know the show's done, but God damn. all right. Anyway. Yes, this is where Ingrid falls apart as a character because her motivation makes sense. And yet it doesn't make sense it's at the same time. Weird cyclical reasoning. Yeah. But she, she mentions that now that she has Emma and Elsa's power, she should be a match for Rumpel. And Rumpel's like, do you want to put that to the test? And she's like, do you want to put that to the test? And he's like, I think we used up all of our CG budget doing all the other stuff we did this episode. Also, we already made an agreement. You get everything outside Storybrooke, and I just get Storybrooke. Can we not just have peace? Anyway, then she casts the spell of Shattered Sight. It's really weird that she and Rumpel are even having this conversation. Because... Well, we, the audience, needed to be brought up to speed on the fact that her plan involves casting the spell, I guess. Because it's not a plan that's obvious. But it's weird. Because it makes no sense. It's weird that they're doing a power play, though. He's like, don't overestimate your power. And she's like, don't underestimate my power. Oh, I hated that line. It's dumb. She thinks... Okay, she says it like it's a clever answer. He's like, don't overestimate. She's like, maybe you shouldn't underestimate. It's not a clever turn of phrase, Ingrid. Anyway, they cast a spell and the CGI looks good. Yeah, she uh, she cast the spell of Shattered Sight on the mirror and uh, with the mirror and that's it. Looks like everyone's going to kill everyone else. Okay, so I just very, very quickly, uh, since this is the end of this episode and next week we'll be going into the finale, the fall, I just wanted to bring up the Netflix description of that episode all right only because the netflix description for that episode and as you listeners know when you're watching shows on netflix and it tries to auto start the next episode and you get the little description i couldn't help but notice the description mary margaret and david rally storybooks residents to prepare for the spell of shattered sight while bell and the fairies work on an antidote so we're gonna get to visit your favorite why aren't these people just fixing everything characters next week Although Rumpel will do us the favor of taking them out of the action. That is good. The fairies have sort of a Professor X problem. This was the problem the Silver Age X-Men had, which is why they initially killed Professor X off pretty early in the run. You have this very powerful character who's not a member of the team, but could really easily accomplish everything that they're accomplishing. 
Right, so you need to explain why they're not there. I get that. That's fine. He should have stayed dead after the first time. No. His character is too interesting and brings up too many interesting moral quandaries. Honestly, I mean, but he could have been dead for all of that. Plus, how do you have, like... How do you have the really great Magneto-Professor X conflicts, which I think are so much more interesting? Anyway. So, Fashion Corner. Okay. Ingrid's dress has entered its final form. And I love it. Other than that, I don't think there was a lot of fashion, especially since this was all just action held over from last week. Yeah, this is the second part of a story we already did, so. Although it does seem weird that they changed her outfit a little bit for this episode. From last episode. It is weird, and it's especially weird because then when they went back to scenes that were already going on, she was wearing the second form of the dress. Anyway. Whatever. It's fine. It looks better. Oh, yeah. We'll allow it. So there were no direct Frozen callbacks that I saw. Weirdly enough, there was something which I felt was a direct callback to Tangled, though. What was that? When she's uh, talking to Anna and the whole... You want me to be the monster? Fine, I'll be the monster. Really felt like a direct reference to, you want me to be the bad guy? Fine, I'll be the bad guy. With Mother Gothel. Yeah. You know, the show never did a Mother Gothel. That's weird, right? Considering that this is a show about awesome evil women and parent issues. How did the show never do a Mother Gothel? Seriously. We had two evil stepmother Cinderella things. Huh. Anyway. I'm not here to talk about the shortcomings in this show. Just kidding, that's exactly what I'm here for. But not only did the show not really have any direct Frozen callbacks, but it also avoided having a direct Snow Queen correlation by completely coming up with a new story for the Mirror of Shattered Sight. But that'll do us for this week. Next week we'll actually talk about the spell, although it won't... It won't actually end up kicking in until the actual finale. That's okay. So until next week, we'll talk about the Mirror of Shattered Sight. Our show is partially patron-supported. If you want to be one of those patrons, you can support us over on our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. Another way you could support the show is by helping us out by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. And if you have a question or comment, send us an email at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com or tweet at us at ilovetvzines. So until next week, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Well, my lady, it's been grand, but I think I've got to be going. No, I really can't stay. Maybe it's cold outside. Oh, I've got to go away. But maybe it's cold outside. This evening has been so happy that you dropped so it. Very nice.